Hello, everybody. Brett Stewart here. I'm recording this message to you the night of release. It's like three in the morning. It's very late. But I wanted to give you a brief rundown as to what's happening with this episode and the next couple episodes. Unfortunately, my laptop hard drive has crashed. And it also crashed during the time that we were switching the platform that we record the show on, and the previous platform backed it up, and the current one did not. And long story short, there's a lot of files that I am trying to get back. Now, fortunately, for this episode of Cabin in the Woods, I spent a very long time, probably three, four, five hours, putting together fragments that I was able to recover from my hard drive to create the complete show. 100% of it is here, and I'm very excited about that. It's a fantastic episode. I really think you're going to enjoy it. There's a couple moments where the audio is a little odd, <laughs> so bear that in mind moving in, but I really don't think it's going to adversely affect your experience listening to this episode. It really is a wonderful discussion, and I'm so happy I was able to recover 99.9% of it so you could hear it. I don't know if I'm going to be re- be able to recover the three episodes following this that are, as a result uh, of this issue, kind of in limbo right now. With that said, we do have contingency plans, and you will keep receiving an episode a week. It might be a Geek Cinema rerun. We might re-record some stuff. We might record some new stuff. That's something that will all happen behind the scenes. So what is most important is that even if we don't stay in the exact order of films that we announced here on this show, we are going to continue to get shows out every single week following the theme of whatever Movie Go Round's theme is that week. I thank you so much for your understanding trying my best. (laughs) It's very hard, and I'm completely, completely heartbroken to lose a couple episodes, but maybe they're not completely lost. I was able to build this one out, so we will see. But until then, enjoy Cabin in the Woods, and stay tuned to our social media to know exactly what episode is coming out next week. We'll know in a couple days. Thanks so much. and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me, as always, on this wonderful, splendid evening. I love this movie. David Luzader, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing well because I got to watch this movie today. I'm coming into this completely biased, guns blazing. This is a future classic. Fight me on Twitter. <laughs> but we're going to talk about it for a whole hour. Joining us as well, Nicole Davis, how are you? Got to introduce my two teenage sons to this movie yesterday. Oh, so that's great. They were highly entertained, even though they did not get a good chunk of the references so yeah, totally okay because i was introduced yeah. to this movie when i was a teenager and loved everything about it and have continued uh, to adore it and i catch new things every time like it's so referential to an extreme that i feel like you do catch new things every time but uh, for, mm-hmm. before we dig into this movie it's a it's future classics week for those unfamiliar the hosts get to pick it rotates so this time it was david's pick uh, a movie that has come out in the last 10 years that is considered or will be considered a classic, hence being called a future classic. So next week's theme, and we're going to tell you so you can go ahead and watch the movie if you'd like to prepare for next week, is Around the World. That is where a host gets to pick an international film. Doesn't matter when it came out, as long as it wasn't made here in the U.S. of A. Nicole Davis, what are we watching next week? All right. Well, number one. You are officially allowed to give me crap about this movie because it's in English for the vast majority of it. And I've ragged on you many times for your choices of around the world where everybody speaks English. And so I'm just like, does this count? I don't know. Um, Last time, though, I I had it in. in Last time. But this, this will be out. This episode will be releasing close to Halloween. And uh, so I thought I should pick an international horror film. In addition, there is a remake coming out shortly. So we will be watching the original 1977 Suspiria. 
Okay, I've never heard of this before. Oh my god, really? It's a classic. I'm finding a Captain America comic. I'm definitely not searching for the right thing. No, so spirit. <laughs> podcasting here. Now I'm Dario Argento, uh, Italian right. film. It's a uh, giallo. Okay, yeah. we're good. Redirected. And it is this the one that's going to be a little Academy. difficult to find? It is very difficult to rent. It is available for uh, streaming in only one place that I found. It's called Tubi TV, T-U-B-I-T-V. And um, you sign up. The account is free. I haven't tried watching anything on it yet. They say the site is ad-supported. So I'm guessing it might be like Hulu and occasionally interrupt the film with ads. Uh, I'm willing to sit through that. It Otherwise, the, the video quality looks quite good. Um, but there is, you know, if you want to make the investment and do the blind buy, there is a $27 Blu-ray of the recently restored version with lots of special extras and features. Um, Very cool. I'm looking forward so, yeah. to it. I, I can't, this is the second time now you've, you've had us watch an international horror film. And I, I, I like them. They're, yeah, they tend to be a little more creative than a lot of American horror movies. I think a lot of American horror movies tend to be very much, uh, at least in recent years, focused on, or have, have in the past been focused on body counts and body horror and uh, jump scares and that kind of thing. And I like a little bit of a different approach to my horror. I wonder if there was some movie. Uh, <laughs> I was about yeah. to say. The send up of those ideas. I can't. <laughs> By I the can't. way, uh, the un- unofficial branding for this Halloween month, uh, I think we, we have to call it uh, movie ghoul round. Oh God. Ooh, do we, ooh, do we have to? I, I'm going to make that a graphic. <laughs> Yes, yes, we do. I boo you, but I'm going to make it a graphic for social media. That's appropriate. Yeah, we, had, cool to- <laughs> we had paid the ghost, and now we are watching Cabin in the Woods. This was David's pick yep. for uh, future classics. Came out in 2012, so it is indeed eligible. Five college friends drive out to an isolated cabin for a weekend of swimming, beer, and getting off the grid. Little do they suspect that they have traded one grid for another, and their weekend is about is about to become more horrifying than anyone could imagine. Now, this movie holds a very plush, a very special place in my heart, and it's one of my all time favorite movies. Not going to pretend to mask that in this podcast, but David, you picked it as a future classic, so I want to kick off with you briefly why you believe this movie is going to be looked at years from now you know, strongly and kindly as we start to go into this discussion. Well, yes, and I must do this in my best semi-Vincent Price voice. I feel like that's appropriate for talking about these things. Nicole, I don't need the eyebrow. (laughs) It's going a little Peter Laurie there. Uh, It's better than doing (laughs) Boris Karloff, I'll say that. Uh, This movie is a loving send-up of horror tropes of everything that we got from horror movies in the 70s and 80s and 90s and so on. It is a movie that loves horror, but also says that horror can be better. I'm slowly abandoning the accent the further I go into this. Uh, It is a movie that says that horror can do different, can do better, but at the same time recognizing sort of a love for what has come before and, and what that there are some truly, truly great moments and some great things. Uh, it is written by Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon, uh, directed by Drew Goddard and produced by Joss Whedon. And I think that kind of gives it a pop culture edge that uh, there's a lot really kind of special love behind this movie that I think you would not have gotten uh, without those two guys on it, you know, there's there's a real easy way for this movie to have come off cynical, and they do a really good job of kind of riding that edge. Uh, I will say that I think that the the way this movie will be a classic will not be that it is a classic that will be viewed by everyone and everyone will have seen it. It will kind of be a classic in the horror genre, 
you know, kind of peeking into mainstream a bit because of, you know, people like Chris Hemsworth, uh, but, and Joss Whedon, but in general, this is a movie that I think is going to be lauded by horror fans. And that's kind of where the, the classic that I am putting onto this film. Absolutely. And you mentioned that, you know, this was made as a labor of love. And I think we should mention right off the bat that this movie went through a pretty hellish production hell. I mean, we're not talking like, you know, Don Quixote levels production hell, but we're talking significant levels of this going through multiple years of it not being made because of bankruptcy on MGM's part. Well, Uh, it was made and then MGM shelved it because they didn't have any made. Uh, and then also them fighting tooth and nail with MGM to get a lot of scenes that they wanted in the movie. Um, everything from the opening scene of the movie to the uh, to the side plots happening in international countries to the end of the movie. Uh, the office party scene. MGM, party wanted, scene. MGM wanted most, if not all of that, like cut from the film. Right. And, and I think <sighs> what's crazy about that is... Well, first of all, do not touch my Bradley Whitford scenes. I <laughs> love Bradley Whitford so much, and I get to talk about it finally. I thought I'd be talking about it with Get Out. I thought Get Out would get here first, but alas, we're here at Cabin in the Woods. Um, I love Bradley Whitford, Josh Lyman forever, but I digress. Uh, yeah, like those are the best scenes of the movie, right? Like Because they set the mood the drastic shifts in mood from what's happening in the cabin to the ridiculous humor of what's happening outside of it. Yeah. I I think so. This movie was made by MGM and then got shelved when MGM went bankrupt. Um, It's funny because this, because of this movie, Chris Hemsworth got cast in red Dawn and it kind of helped propel him kind of on the radar of some Hollywood people and may have helped him get cast as Thor. Uh, but then Thor got released before this movie. Uh, anyway, this movie got shelved by MGM and then was eventually picked up by Lionsgate along with Red Dawn. And Lionsgate watched and loved the movie and wanted to release it just like just as is. Uh, they were like super behind this movie. And it that's kind of what convinced, according to, you know, Internet sources, uh, that Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard kind of written off the movie like, okay, I guess this is our little passion project. Like the studio was fighting us on it. Now it's getting shelved. Like it's just, you know, I guess it's not going to happen. And then Lionsgate comes along and like convinces them like, oh no, this, you know, we were right with what we were doing. Uh, right. So that's, I think that that's pretty cool. They got a studio who eventually saw their vision and agreed with it and wanted them to put it out as is. And what year did the first Avengers movie come out? That 2012. 2012, yep. Okay, so this is literally happening coinciding with Joss Whedon being the biggest dude in the film industry, but also making his film, his, his you know, extremely referential horror side project. Pretty much. I, I'm not 100% clear on the timing, but I, I believe The Cabin in the Woods came out a few months before The Avengers. Right, but he yeah, was essentially it, working on them simultaneously, at least to some degree. Yeah, I mean, this this movie, they began production on in 2009, and it was slated for release in 2010. So, I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was done. And yeah, I mean, at that point, you'd have Joss Whedon working on pre-production for Avengers. Um, but I, I don't think he, there, I don't think there was probably too much overlap. I guess it's just crazy to me because when I was introduced to this movie, it was after the, after the Avengers had come out, I think I'd, I'd probably seen Avengers two at that point. I was well enough familiar with Joss Whedon as the dude who brought me Buffy and Avengers <laughs> And maybe Firefly? Did he do Firefly? Who was that? Fire. Yeah, that, that yeah, was and Firefly. And then all of a sudden, someone was like, "Here's Cabin in the Woods. This is by the Avenger guy." And I was like, "Wait, what?" Uh, because it's such a left turn. So, Brett, have you heard of Dollhouse <laughs> by any chance? What is Dollhouse? Also by Joss Whedon. Also includes Alan Tudyk. Oh, yes, yes. Alan Tudyk is also in... Dollhouse is 
interesting. Uh, I would oh say it's really cool. like a leaf on the wind. I need to go watch this. It, it, it gets pretty good. Uh, it starts off pretty rough, though. Just yeah. It does. Uh, can I tell you, I saw this in theaters when it came out a couple of times. There was a mixed audience reaction for this movie. Because they advertised it as a horror movie. Yeah, they yeah. advertised it purely as a go to a cabin in the woods slasher film. Horrible things happen. Teenagers get cut up in various ways. And that's what a lot of people came in expecting. People who didn't know or weren't terribly familiar with Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard. And I had heard of them and knew who they were and knew that Joss really likes to be funny. He's, he's a smart guy. He's a funny guy. He likes to show off that he is a smart guy and a funny guy. Um, so there's always going to be little things thrown in anyway to the movie. So I was just like, all right, you know, I'll put up with the hacking and slashing for the smart and the funny. And what I got was like the best possible cocktail of scary horror movie and comedy going on in the control room and then near the end you get this massive explosion of horror it's like a horror pinata that gets whacked with a bat at the end and <laughs> everything explodes and you get every horror thing in the world that's ever been thrown at you and gallons and gallons of blood and it's fantastic and I want to so. dial back very quickly because you mentioned Drew Goddard and that was the first time he's been mentioned in this podcast. And I do I think it's I know, really was it? earlier. Oh, you did earlier. Okay. I, I just want to make sure we give him his due. I feel like this is a guy oh. um, who, you know, he direct, it was his, first, it was his directorial debut following yeah. writing the first Cloverfield, which spawned an entire franchise for better and worse. Um, <laughs> and wrote a ton of Buffy. Uh, and then later, like, wrote the martian and also mm -hmm. created daredevil so this is a guy that has had a pretty oh, phenomenal okay he didn't create daredevil he was behind <laughs> the daredevil tv show yes the yeah, netflix netflix series. daredevil yes so this well, is a guy okay. has a pretty extraordinary career and it it's just remarkable to me that this is just kind of in the middle of it with Joss Whedon. I just find this movie so weird because for everybody involved of note, it's such the it, it is the bizarre thing in their filmography. Uh, I don't think it's that bizarre. It's pretty in line with. I mean, if you look at Drew Goddard's stuff. What he looked on, worked on, writer for Buffy, Angel, and Lost before this movie comes out. That seems pretty in line with Gavin Lewis wrote Cloverfield. The other reason he got to direct this is because Joss Whedon, like they both want to direct it. And then Joss Whedon acquiesced and uh, allowed his friend to direct it. Uh, no, I think that kind of at this point with where I'm at, I'm much more interested in what Drew Goddard is doing with his career right. than what uh, Joss Whedon is doing with his career. Uh, just kind of where we're at. And also because he uh, has directed and is an executive producer on the good place, which is, <laughs> the best TV show on right now and coming back. Well, by the time this episode comes out, we'll be back on air and I will be. So <laughs> I, I agree that it's a good show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess what I'm saying though, is like you look at the, the careers of Chris Hemsworth, Thor, um, Jesse Williams, <laughs> This was before Chris Hemsworth was famous, though. This is not yeah. cool for him. No, this I'm is talking, yeah, but I'm talking about like of what he's. I guess I get. I don't know. It just seems like a weird little entry, like Bradley Whitford. Before, I feel like you have to have this movie for Bradley Whitford to not feel weird and get out. Oh no, well, I don't. What about the West Wing? Yeah, I don't think no. The reason Bradley Whitford is <laughs> in Get Out, Wing, it's it, it's totally different than this. But what I'm saying, the reason that Bradley Whitford is in Get Out is because of the West Wing. Bradley Whitford is in yes. Get Out regardless of this movie's existence. It is because Josh Lyman is this, the you know this this paragon of the liberal male, which is the reason why he then got cast in Get Out. Like that's literally according to Jordan Peele and both really? Bradley. Whitford. I did not know that. That is because okay. of the West Wing that Bradley Whitford is in. Uh, oh, that's Get fascinating. Out. I didn't know that because like you know jo Josh Lyman is like one of my all time favorite characters in film and tv 
And I always see like the character he plays in this with Hadley moving into get out as like a progression of him being like the cynical old white man of the horror movie that, you know, something, I don't know. I I see, I see, I can can see that. Yeah. But let's just agree. Let's just agree that Josh and Donna should have never kissed that. (laughs) That's where their relationship should have ended. Like, so you know what? I got to tell Claire not to watch this, not to listen to this show now because we're in season two. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, and she's like, they better not hook up. And I, spoilers. I agree with you, Claire. From the early aughts, spoilers, everybody. Of the right. West yeah, that, that shows. That shows. But I think you have Bradley Whitford, Richard Jenkins in this because name more do like two more nondescript middle aged white men. I don't. And, and the who are amazing characters. Like, oh yeah, they never thought of anyone besides these two in writing these characters, and that's perfect about it. As well, they should not, because <laughs> it's the perfect representation of like Hollywood mm-hmm. management is just these middle-aged white guys. Yeah, they look right. like a couple of guys who should be in Mission Control, helping you know launch the space shuttle or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, you absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> now, for those unfamiliar, uh, this is one show where I, I, I always do the disclaimer of if you haven't watched the movie, I'm going to give you a little background here. I really think you should watch this. But if you don't, the kids are sent up to a cabin in the woods um, or go there of their own volition, some may say, depending on how you view this film. And they go there and are in this government. Ex- not It's not an experiment. It's like a government sacrifice yeah it's a government sanctioned yearly human sacrifice yep that has to include very specific you know archetypes of people and all these you know archetypes are the stereotypical characters of horror movies right you have what is it the jock the the whore the scholar the scholar and the fool Okay. Which we have a fun note. I just want to. I just want to bring this up here. Uh, Marty is the is the fool. Fran Kranz. The reason that Marty is still in his clothes when they're oh, at, I know this one. <laughs> at the dock is because Fran Kranz is incredibly jacked, He's like super <laughs> yes. in shape, and they thought that's not, it doesn't really look right if you know our two hunks of the film uh, look lesser than the guy who's supposed to be the burnout fool. So they just they had Marty keep his T-shirt on the whole time. Yeah, if you wanna if you wanna see it, you watch the Joss Whedon version of Much Ado About Nothing. There's like one scene where Fran Kranz is in a hot tub, and I was watching the movie, and I'm all of a sudden like, wait, what? What? Wait, what? What? It's just doesn't my brain doesn't want to put the that. The head to the body. Character, the head and the body, because I'm so used to this head being attached to. It's like you found out that Shaggy was a bodybuilder. You know? Yeah, kind of. Okay, so that's the thing. I'm so glad you mentioned this. Because... <laughs> Only smarter than Shaggy. Much, much smarter. Yeah. It's so difficult for me to talk about this movie and call him Marty, because for years I have exclusively referred to him as Shaggy. He's no. literally Shaggy in this movie. No. No, he isn't. No, 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 no. In, in, in oh. a looks department, yes, and like the wearing the green and the long green shirt, the hair, the. I mean, the come on, there, there is some, there is some Scooby Doo send ups here. I don't it think looks, that's yeah. Come on. It it looks like it might have been a couple of days since he's gotten himself into the shower. <laughs> and that and that bong he has that they I actually that. <laughs> built to be a working bong and mug cost five thousand dollars. <laughs> Yes. Such an unnecessary detail. Such an unnecessary detail. <laughs> but it's one of the best visual gags of the movie, and it gets it gets to be a visual gag more than once. No, I That's agree. the best part. But it gets it to have- be the visual gag at the beginning where he collapses this giant bog into a normal-looking travel mug, and then it gets near the end where he gets to you know whack it back out, telescope it back out again, and whack a zombie with it. But didn't have to work. But didn't have to work. No, it didn't have to work as a bong. This is true. <laughs> yes, yes. So there are all these different caricatures of the characters we stereotypically see in horror movies. 
But Nicole, yeah. you put in our docket that three of the five friends are actually the opposite of their designated category. If I'm not mistaken, you're talking yes. about the virgin's not actually a virgin. We learned this like in the opening yeah. of the movie. So they, they got that pretty wrong early on. Yeah, the virgin's been having an affair with one of her professors. Right. They just breeze over that. Yeah, the jock Only knows the- enough yeah. about sociology to like tell her that she's got the wrong textbook and she needs to have this other one that goes into much more detail about X, Y, and Z before realizing she's got no pants on and leaving the room. And then the fool, yeah, the fool, Marty knows everything that's going on. Everything he says, every wild theory that he's got is true. Well, they even write about everything. Here's the thing. They, they point out uh, that even uh, the, the girl, um, that's that's her friend, the one that's the the jewels, the one that's representing yeah. the character of, of the whore. That's not how she acts. They they have all been drugged and coerced. Yeah, it, it doesn't right. matter. It doesn't matter how they fit their archetypes in real life. What matters is how they feel the archetypes when in the cabin. In the cabin, like yeah, the, the, yeah Marty Marty is smart and observant, but he was supposed to be on like this strain of weed that he wouldn't be able to figure out. You know, his left hand from his right foot, sort of thing. <laughs> The U.S. government really dropped the ball in workshopping this uh, <laughs> this particular <laughs> sacrifice and the fate of humanity is in their hands. And what I kind of love is that Joss Whedon, when asked about this, has repeatedly said that, you know, the reason I wrote this this way was because, yes, we have these stereotypes that appear in every horror movie, but it's also the way adults see teenagers they automatically file them into these cliques and that happens in this movie because the adults have done just that the only adults in this movie are the people well the whole game i mean yeah there's those and then also the college kids who are clearly in their 30s yeah Um, i mean yeah we can friday night lights this all day but yeah um (laughs) but i guess what what i'm getting at is like he says that that adults spend a lot of time pushing these kids into their cliques, but even taking them out of the scenario of the crazy cabin, they're all going to be more individualistic and different than what, than the little box that they try to put them in this movie and movies never explore outside of that. Well, Sigourney Weaver says, but spoiler alert guys, Sigourney Weaver shows up at the end of this movie. Uh, She says that you're being punished for being young. That's like, that's the only crime that these people committed is that they're young. And right. yeah, it's totally true. It's like, yeah, they're like individuals, but good. like, look at the horror movies were never, I mean, a, a few were, but some of the ones that have like the strong stereotypes were not written by teenagers during their teens. It was written by adults looking back of like, yeah, teens do this, right? And then they get hacked <laughs> by a machete. Like, why? Because I don't, why not? I was home playing Risk, but I'm betting other teens were out doing this stuff when I was. <laughs> oh, I, I went to I went to Arizona State University. Every person I tell that to, they're like, "Oh, she must have done a lot of partying." I'm like, I never went to one party in college, not a and single. The funny thing is, David and I have had this interaction. I was like, "Oh, ASU." Um, yeah, we totally the stereotype. Oh yeah, we had a T-shirt at our college. We had a T-shirt because. Details Magazine had come out with an issue with the 300 top party schools. And number one was Arizona State University. No devils. And then we were under um, the Naval Academy, Brigham Young University, and then dead <laughs> at the bottom, number 300, the University of Chicago, which is where I went. <laughs> so... It's yeah, just, I don't think those, uh, those lists are not. Look, guys, just because I went to Arizona State <laughs> doesn't mean that I was cool and went to parties. Like I just gotta say, stereotypes are wrong. Right now, I do want to circle back to Sigourney Weaver because she shows up at the end of this movie, yes. and um, there's some aliens nods in this movie. I mean, just simply the fact that yep. there's a Dana in this movie. Um, yep. Is that alone? although the Dana Dana is related to the Ghostbusters character, not. Yeah, yeah, right. Sorry. Yes. Um, there is no Dana, only Zool. <laughs> right, right. Now, one thing I love, this might be my favorite anecdote about the production of this movie, was that Sigourney was most excited to make this movie when she found out there was a werewolf involved. And she was so excited that a werewolf was involved 
she was like pacing around set being like, where's the werewolf? Like the werewolf hadn't <laughs> shown up yet. And then when it was time to eat lunch and they were all, you know, all of the stuff was there. No one was sitting with the guy in the werewolf costume. And this made Sigourney very distraught and started going around getting people to sit with the guy in the werewolf costume. And I just love this mental image. There's no real substance to me telling you this. I just love this mental image of Sigourney Weaver fretting over A, not having werewolf and B, not socializing with werewolf. Well, why didn't she go sit with the werewolf? She did. She did. She just wanted okay. to make sure that werewolf was not only not only included, but also in her scenes. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like, yeah, well, yeah, she's so got happy. the clout. I'm, I'm, I would not have been surprised to hear that Drew Goddard like came up to her and said, okay, you know, we've got every monster you can think of. We need one for this last scene. Which one do you want? <laughs> uh, I think it was also, it was, it, was maybe going to be Jamie Lee Curtis in the scene as well. They wanted they wanted a recognizable mm. face in that mm-hmm. scene. Right. I think they originally wanted Sigourney and then it was maybe became Jamie Lee Curtis and then somehow Sigourney Weaver worked out. I think I think both would have been great. I, I think Jamie Lee yeah. Curtis also would have been great in that role. But I think because of her history with her well, but Jamie Lee Curtis was in was in Halloween. Duh, that's a tough call. Yeah, so like I was just about to say, by the time this episode comes out, I will either be lamenting or joyful over long-haired Jamie Lee Curtis fighting with a shotgun because that's coming out a month from now. The time this episode comes out. Wait, yeah, what is it? Be bad. The, the oh, Halloween oh the Halloween written by Danny McBride. That one. Yeah, with, with old, with old, not not that old, <laughs> middle-aged Jamie Lee Curtis fighting a uh, fighting um, what's his name? Mike Myers. She's gonna fight him off with Smactivia. <laughs> She's gonna live and active culture him to death. <laughs> Freaky Friday too. Okay, <laughs> that's that would be something. I would watch that. That would be something. She swapped. She and it's Mike Myers swapped bodies. <laughs> that's better than the draft I was writing, where she switches bodies with a thing of Activia. <laughs> of Activia. Um. Yeah, she'd be fun in it, but I think having Sigourney here is kind of great, especially because Sigourney has apparently just become like this cameo actress. Like, she's a wonderful actress and she's in a ton of stuff, but like, she has a ton of cameos and stuff nowadays. I mean, we, this right. is our second Sigourney cameo in like three weeks. She was in Wally. Um, yep. She's also in, uh, to keep up with that resume, she was also in Finding Dory right. as. Gourney Weaver as the narrator of the aquarium. Exactly. <laughs> so another element I wanted to briefly touch on, and I caught this organically a couple years ago. So that that was by then that was like 10 or 15 watches into this movie. I've seen this movie a lot. I caught <laughs> when I was really into the Left for Dead video games at the time that the Left for Dead characters are inexplicably in this movie. Now David put in our docket why and i understand i i know why they're there i'm just saying without the context of what didn't happen it's inexplicable um because there was supposed to be a promotional tie-in with the game yeah the game was supposed to have a whole thing where you are in the woods trying to uh just i mean basically sur- left for dead people haven't played as a survival game where you are fighting off wave after wave of zombies waiting for rescue and you're supposed to be in the woods and probably working your way towards uh a cabin i would imagine but I think I think even with um, even without that going on, it's not weird that they're there. I don't think it's inexplicable. I think it's like you know you got people who are sneaking little Easter eggs in everywhere, and like, hey, you know, it'd be really cool if we put in like these special zombies from this video game. Like, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I this movie I is that. like this movie is like the White House lawn on Easter morning. It's got <laughs> so many Easter eggs. And I think what I mean by that when I say like inexplicable, it's like without knowing that there was a promotional tie-in intended and you're just watching this movie and all of a sudden you see a couple of just random Left 4 Dead characters, you're like, how did they get in there? But keep in oh, mind, the reason they kept them was because they work so well. There's right. three of them in the elevator scene, there's, which we'll get to the later. Boomer, the the witch, and I can't remember which other one. There's the tank. The tank's in there. Right. Ugh, I hate them all. I hate them all. <laughs> Mostly that stupid one that would grab you with its tongue. Ugh. That kind of explains why there's so many. There's like four different variations of zombie. Uh, zombies, yeah. In this movie. Well, what, like, I, 
there's there's regular zombies. There's the zombie redneck torture family, the Buckners, which is who shows up in Cabin in the Woods for the to come get our our teen protagonists here. There's uh, the reanimated. Uh-huh. It's called there, and then there's there's, well, there's something also, else. Also the deadites. The deadites. Yes, that was it. Which I'm also really upset that we never see the witches or the sexy witches. We see the witches. We, we don't see the sexy witches. I mean, if you're going to point out sexy witches in the movie, there's got to be some. <laughs> also, just no, really there's cool. a there's a throwback to Evil Dead. Yes, it is. Yes. Along with the okay. angry molesting tree is also. Yes, the angry molesting tree is Evil Dead, and the cabin is Evil Dead. The cabin is an exact oh. lookalike for the cabin in the Evil Dead. I mean, man, there's so much stuff that we could go through in this movie of like, this is obviously a point to this and this and that and blah, blah, right. blah. So instead of doing that, which we'll do more <laughs> of that, but why don't we actually turn to the whiteboard? There is a whiteboard inside this movie where everyone who is orchestrating this madness gets to vote as departments on not vote, gamble. gamble. Yes, gamble. Yeah. Everybody gamble. places a bet on who right. gets on which monsters or unholy, you know, scariness the teenagers are going to uh, descend upon themselves because what happens in this movie, again, for those who don't watch, uh, they go into the basement because they are instructed essentially to go into the basement when a door mysteriously opens and it must've been the wind uh, when there's no wind and all the windows are closed and they go down to the basement and there's a ton of different tchotchkes and depending on what they pick up and manipulate in some way, it's going to summon a specific ghoul or ghosty or otherwise baddie. Um, and there's a ton of them. And there's so many, in fact, yeah. that all of them written on this board are not even really shown in the movie. And we're going to get to one oh. in particular. Um, is it going to be Fornicus? Because Fornicus is mentioned and also in the credits. Fornicus is not on the board. Fornicus is not on the board. Right. But it is on is it the credits. Somebody is credited as playing Fornicus. The and there are a few <laughs> things on the board that are not shown in the movie. It's true. Yeah. And, and what's crazy is like if you pause the scenes when they're in this basement in the cabin, there's all sorts of these little Easter eggs we're talking about. You know, every tiny little, you know, trinket that can summon and cause one of these things to come out and kill you is its own little Easter egg in a way. And Nicole put in our docket. You know, what is everyone's favorite monster on this whiteboard? Because it does have something for every single trope and type of horror fan, which is part of the delight of this movie. Ah, boy, that's that's tough because there's some there's some really fun stuff. We see a bunch of the dragon bat later on. Yeah, Uh, I think just kind of based on on name and theatrics. I really love that one is just called the bride and that. Yeah. is really close to the one that they almost summon the, the girls about to put on the, the bride necklace and just, I don't know. I feel like that. I mean, I've seen that movie obviously a dozen times, but I was also really curious to see what the bride would have looked like and how she would have uh, extracted her torture upon them all. Oh, uh, just based on the, if I base it only on the name and not what I know of it from other movies, I would go with angry molesting tree just because it's not only is it the molesting tree it's an angry molesting tree what is it angry about um but the the one that i'm sure brett is getting to is something that just fascinates me there's you know there's all these things on the board like werewolf alien beast mutants wraiths reptilius with all these you know nasty horror monsters we then get to kevin and I don't know who Kevin is or what Kevin is. If he's is Kevin the giant tarantula? Is Kevin the guy who crawls on the ceiling? Who is who or what is Kevin? I always Kevin. thought it was um I could be wrong, but I always thought it was we need to talk about Kevin. I thought it was a nod to that. <laughs> no, Kevin is uh Kevin is the unassuming guy who works at Best Buy. Kevin is <laughs> Yeah, like this is that that's kind of the description of it, how they envisioned right. it was Joss Whedon was like, and he wears those shirts referring to like polo shirts. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the description that people have said that the, the, the idea came from Elijah Wood's character in sin city. Just okay. this very quiet, calm, kind of like nerdy, unassuming looking guy like who then starts dismembering people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
just it's it's your you know it's the nice guy down the street who's secretly a serial killer see if we had if we had seen a little tidbit of Kevin in this movie, I think yeah. I might take my spot as my favorite. But what we do see a tiny glimpse of, which will always be my favorite. Just some guy with a name tag that says Kevin. <laughs> um, so my favorite in this movie out of all the ones on the board, I think, is the Jack-O-Lantern. Because I love everything that's overtly Halloween-y. I love Jack-O-Lanterns. I love the you know, the headless horseman and the jack-o'-lantern on his head and all those fun things that are like my favorite. So when we see the jack-o'-lantern in this movie and it's great the way he is, he's like eight feet tall and he's just so cool in this movie. And I want him in it more. Um, gives like Probably a very like, sleepy, right. Gives you like a sleepy hollow type vibe. Um, he's definitely my favorite in the movie um it says that actually he's a seven foot tall i'm reading off the cabin in the woods wiki by the way a seven <laughs> foot tall humanoid creature with a large round pumpkin for a head who is carved onto a monstrous face with a huge sharp tooth grin he wears a long 18th century traveling coat with a white frilled collar it can breathe a long gout of flame from its mouth to burn its victims to death um, sure why not that to show you how deep people go into this wiki um, because then there are like 10 or 15 pages of people fighting over different aspects of the jack-o'-lantern character well there's so, also uh, there is a visual companion to this book that exists that i think for pretty much all of the creatures has some level of description oh cool yeah. all right be- yeah i mean this is this is a this movie i mean not to be too crude but i really can't think of any other way to put it this is a creature shop's wet dream of a movie because basically, you know, Drew Goddard came to the came to the special effects team and said, "Okay, what's the scariest monster you can think of? What's the most horrifying thing that could come for you?" And they sat around and they brainstormed and they bounced ideas around and he was like, "Okay, good. Go make that." All of it. <laughs> All of them. And then they had to add stuff Later, when they built the lobby set, finally, <laughs> with the elevator lobby, it was so big that even every monster they had built couldn't fill the space. So they had to put in, like, the giant CG snake and, like, the wraiths that come in from the Love top the and come through. And Big wraith, it's, man. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, and the one witch that comes flying in. I saw that that's a practical effect. The woman flying is a practical effect, but like she literally yanks the soul out of someone's body and goes flying off with it, which is awesome. Yeah. Because what's great about the scene you're talking about, which is when the kids finally realize, or at least two of them realize what is happening and they descend down into all of the, the spaces beneath where the cabin is, where they're keeping all these, monsters and little cells so they can release them depending on which one is summoned um and they get downstairs and there's this fantastic moment where they press the system purge button which nicole has in our docket why is there a system purge button (laughs) wonderful question question. and there's a split second where uh you hear an elevator ding and then one of the swat guys that's there to bring these two kids in is like oh shit and it just explodes in this cacophony of blood. And it is everything that Nicole said earlier is frustrating about American horror cinema. And this movie knows that. And it goes balls to the wall with it because of that. And that's what makes it fun because you watch all these different monsters kill these guys in such dramatic, intense ways, whether it's, you know, pulling their souls out or burning them or um, killing Bradley Whitford as a merman. He <laughs> really wanted to see those merman. Yeah, so yeah. for those for those unfamiliar, you know, the entire movie, one of these monsters is Merman. And you don't know what Merman looks like until it finally comes out to kill Bradley Whitford, which is a running gag in the movie because Bradley Whitford's character loves um the Merman and never gets to see the Merman. Um and I love that that is the monster and scene that scored highest amongst all like pre-showings test groups that they did of this movie people were like that merman scene <laughs> and it's great yeah the merman looks so disgusting 
It's yeah. so, you don't, you don't know what it's going to look like until it comes out of nowhere. And it's exactly what a merman should probably look like. Like it's not at all romanticized. Yeah. It's not like man on the top fish on the bottom. It's like man and fish genetically mixed and turn into one whole thing. Good look. And you have to wonder how was this going to t- kill those college kids? <laughs> yeah. There's no, t- and then you find there. out. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the actual methods, but like, was it going to wait until they all went swimming again? Like what they have to get on dry land. Oh, true. I, bet, I bet you for sure that it's like they all go swimming or they get like pushed somehow with the drugs to move toward water and he's real speedy in water. Like, don't yeah. let his slowness when he kills, you know, maimed Bradley Whitford fool you. He's a speedy guy. Water. I like that you're you're on the side of the merman now. You're like, Bradley <laughs> Whitford was right. Well, there's this amazing part in the movie, and I don't. I, I'm wondering if it's the same point for you guys. You know, because you start out rooting for these kids. Well, at least I did. I maybe the you know the slasher fans were rooting for all the kids to die, but I was there. You know, I'm rooting for as many of the kids as possible to survive. And then there's this part where Kurt and Dana and Harden, Hannon, Holden all pile into this giant RV. And how does that get through the mountain tunnel, by the way? Um, And they're on their way out and there's supposed to be a cave in in the mountain tunnel to block them from getting away. And it's, it hasn't happened. And so Citizen has to go tear assing down to demolition to fix the electrical system <laughs> so that the cave-in will happen. Not to interrupt you, but this place is all wired like a Disney attraction, right? Like you can just switch the Ethernet yeah. cables to make the cave collapse. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, and so, I found myself rooting simultaneously for the kids to make it out through the tunnel out the other side and for Citizen to get <laughs> to the electrical short and fix it so that they can't get away and ruin the ritual. And now, it's this they, very neat trick that the movie pulls doing this. Yeah. And, and when they're not able to get out, they are resorted to Chris Hemsworth saving them. And uh, the best, the best moment in. <laughs> yeah. Now before shit on a wall. Um, so for those unfamiliar, you know, he's, the, he thinks they can they can only get out if he makes a really they, rad BMX jump. Yeah. Uh, they established earlier in the movie that, that there is a physical barrier keeping them within a certain, like a, yeah, an invisible barrier field type thing. Yeah. yeah. And he takes his little BMX jump off of the, uh, cliff and slams into the wall and the speech he gives the characters before this happens he is telling them like you need to you know go get help and even if i die you need to you know save everybody else and like and and actually you know they said after filming this like this is the moment we knew he would be an action star because <laughs> Days later, they're like Red Dawn, and then days after that, they're like Thor. Like literally, <laughs> Thor, the Thor casting was two days after the Red Dawn casting. Though I, you know, I have to say that uh, his American accent is not the strongest. And I've always thought this about Chris Hemsworth. I, I was gonna say that I thought he did pretty well. He does. He does fine, but it's not super great. I will say because I was watching this movie with somebody who pointed out. Uh, a butt shot and was like, ah, Joss Whedon, at which point I'd be like, well, Joss Whedon didn't direct it, but I imagine he probably gave Drew Goddard some tips. And there are a couple of butt shots in this movie. (laughs) It looked from the, like the behind the scenes stuff that's on the DVD that they were both on set at the same time. Yeah, I imagine. So, and is it butt shots of guys or girls? Girls, girls. I didn't really notice. But maybe that's because it's so ubiquitous in American movies that it's just not something that I pay attention to anymore. It's it's a specialty. It's a specialty of Joss Whedon's. I is think it like, is it is it his foot thing for thrown back to our Tarantino conversations? A, a little bit, like with without getting you know too far off track. There is 
a very specific <laughs> shot in the Justice League movie. Oh God, that's that, horrible. And you know exactly that what I noticed. Yeah, that that has been confirmed. That was a Joss Whedon shot. <laughs> that, that he did uh let's just say it was a very weird sudden sexualization of wonder woman that was completely unnecessary and out of nowhere in the scene anyway uh i i don't know i think this movie i like i really like drew goddard's style and i think that joss whedon would have put a little bit more of the kind of buffy and angel schlock onto it would have made it quippier than it is i think and i don't think the movie would have been has, as great if everybody's just shooting off one-liners all the time. Yeah, I it think it would have been a little overthought. Movie. Yeah, it would have been overthought. That's a good way of putting it, Nicole. I agree. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the greatest things about Cabin in the Woods is that whenever I tell people I love it and I say it's one of my favorite horror movies, I always have to debate whether or not it is a horror movie because a lot of people don't think it is. Um, no, it's how could really- you know? Well, I agree, but, I, but I've had this conversation with a myriad of people where a lot of people say, oh, it's a comedy with horror elements. And I think it walks a very interesting line between the two. I still think it's a horror movie, um, but it has enough quip in it for people to feel like it is more comedy at times. And I, I, I think that, yeah. Yeah. I think watching it now, I saw there was some really. Thanks, Doc. Topanga agrees. <laughs> Watching it now, I thought there were some really good tension moments, um, like when they're, when, they're, when they're in the basement or when she is making out with a wolf's head. Uh, that kind of spookiness in this movie too. I mean, if you're desensitized to, and you watch a lot of horror movies, you're not going to be scared by this movie. It's not overly scary. There's no real jump scares. There's nothing like that. But there's some spookiness in this movie. Oh, yeah. I have a hard time saying. I mean, I'll say it's a horror comedy all day long, but I have a hard time yeah. saying the horror movie. Like, yeah, I don't think this movie you can just be like, oh yeah. Like, I was trying to get my roommate to watch it, and I think that she could have, but she's like, I think this is a movie if people who don't normally like horror movies can hundred percent pretty easily watch. Yeah, yeah. It is both a a horror movie in and of itself, a love letter to horror movies, and a send up of horror movies. It, I think it's all those simultaneously. And David also makes the argument in our docket. It's also a hate letter in a sense where they, you know, they are talking they about a love things. Hate letter. Yeah. a love hate letter because the, you know, they're addressing some of the things they hate about the genre and would love to see revitalized. And there was a hope that this movie would push the industry in that direction. And now we're a few years out, uh, what, six years out. Did it succeed? This is a great question from David. I think, I think we're, we're starting a, to see. I think we're seeing a wonderful renaissance from from you know stuff like the invitation. It comes at night. Get out. Uh, the fact that Jordan Peele is. We now have an official trailer teaser today of the Twilight Zone. Like, there's totally a quiet place. Hereditary. Quiet place. Hereditary. But then, but then we have stuff like the Nun. <laughs> oh my God! Don't even get me started. The Nun all the way. Well, I and. Then we have like you know Insidious and the Conjuring and stuff like like stuff that is still kind of within what they are doing their whole set out like all that still exists. I do think I do agree that I think that we have stuff like Get Out and Quiet Place and Invitation, but for all like the three I thought of that are like challenging what horror though is a Quiet Place a horror movie? That's not yes. Okay, okay. Look, a monster could get them any second for the entire movie. But is that a, if it's all tension, is that a horror movie or a thriller? But either way, neither here nor there at this exact moment. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree that we're starting to see kind of these ripples of like, now let's do something different. And then it's still occasionally have a nun that jumps out at you. Yeah. And I mean, there are yeah. movies. In a resurgence of any genre, right? You're always going to have crappy movies. But I mean, this is this is one you know, there was a revitalization with Scream because Scream was like, okay, what what would a horror movie like for people who have watched all the horror movies? How would that go? What would happen then? They literally have a conversation about horror. Right. And I mean, and then there's, you know, more recently, uh, Your Next came out. And that's kind of what would happen if somebody made all the right decisions during a horror movie what if you know the final girl did all the right things how would that go instead of making all the dumb choices what if she did all the smart stuff 
Yeah. And so I I and think it's you know, there's still some stupid stuff coming out. Piranha three double D, can we say, perhaps? Um, but you know, there's there's some good smart things coming out. I, mean, I don't like this trend of when something is a an intelligent horror movie that kind of goes in a different direction, all of a sudden it can't be a horror movie anymore because it's too smart for the genre. Which is not what I'm saying about a, the, a quiet place at all. No, I don't think it's what you're saying, but I, I do think it's something that's taking place in the popular culture. And, and you will, of course, have some pushback. Like, I keep making jokes about the nun, but you're going to have people who are like, we're going to make the classic horror movie in which like, it's about the monster and the thing that chases <clears> you and blah, blah, blah. There's always going to be those people who are going to try and have that be the thing. And then you have the monster that chases you in the thing of uh, the idea of of a quiet place where it's like, what if the monster is chasing you, but these people have figured out a way to live with it and they're getting around it. And the problem has to be in other places. Right. And I mean, that can be done really well. I'm, I'm at the time of this recording, I'm trying to get both of my co-hosts to go see Mandy, however possible. And it went on Saturday. (laughs) Oh, excellent. 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 And I mean, the really, the, the shortest description I can make of it that doesn't spoil anything is that it is art house meets grindhouse. Um, and so there is, there are some classic slasher things that happen in this movie, in I'm, that movie. But there are also a lot of artistic, re- like really artsy shots and Panos Cosmatos. The only other movie he's done, the only other feature film he's done is something called beyond the black rainbow which is sort of this ode to David Cronenberg and altered states. And he said he wanted to make the anti beyond the black rainbow with this movie, but it's still like super artsy and beautiful to look at. And it's the final score of Johan Johansson. And I highly recommend everybody go find it. The only question that I have about Mandy is, does she come and give without taking? I'm not the first one. (laughs) But I had to make it. Uh, she she kind of does. Oh, well, that's good to know it's not false advertising. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. Uh, the two things I very briefly wanted to mention, well, three actually, um, screw the Neon Demon, fight me on Twitter. Um, that is <laughs> also is terrible. It's so bad. I hate it. I know we're going to have to watch it. I still haven't seen it. Um, but I will say that two movies I'm particularly looking forward to in this genre moving forward into the year is I'm going all in on Hellfest. That is going to be bad and super, super, super bad. And I love it. Uh, Nicole's <laughs> squinting at me like she doesn't know what this is. I've never heard of it. it it's coming out next weekend. Uh, it'll already okay. be out by the time this episode comes out. Wow. A bunch of t- teenagers on Halloween night that go to a theme park that's all haunted houses, but the haunted houses are really haunted. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. I can't wait. And then okay. a good horror movie. I'll balance bad with good. The good horror movie I cannot wait for this year that I think might be good is called Overlord. It is a J.J. Abrams creation that was at first rumored to be part of the Cloverfield franchise but he has dispelled that and said it's entirely different and it is about a bunch of uh american soldiers uh right after d-day in europe um during world uh. war II that have to um encounter these weird nazi monster creation experiment things and i love that because it could be bad who knows but at the end of the day it's a totally different direction than most horror so i'm ah so the question will be is it just operation overlord which is what that was called or is it is there like going to be some sort of demonic overlord involved and it looks like it might be a little bit of both which is why they named it that because there are in the trailer, there's like this like big like they're showing you a little bit of something. They're using a little bit of Cloverfield magic, but hopefully we see more than that. Um, mm. It looks pretty cool. I'm excited. But as we close out the episode, is it a future classic? Why or why not? I'm going to turn this over to Nicole first because David has made his case, and then I'll also weigh in too. I mean, I have a one-word response to that, which is "duh." Yes, it's good. <laughs> <Yeah. We're not laughs> biased, as we didn't illustrate throughout this episode and before it last week. I, I, I don't think it was part of the bias. I think it really. No, I agree. L- like I said, I think it's it is simultaneously a horror movie and a love letter to horror movies and a send-up of the bad parts of horror movies. 
and it's incredibly smart and it's well edited. I mean, it moves right along. It's very well paced. It cuts, I think, at exactly the right times between the actual cabin and the control room. And then it merges the two and you get this, you know, nearly orgiastic payoff of every horror creature ever being released simultaneously. And it's, it was well beyond any of my expectations when I went to see this movie. Um, and they, both my kids loved it and I enjoy the heck out of it still. And I get something out of it every time still. And so, yeah, I would, I would say it's a feature classic. I think people are going to be talking about this movie and referring back to it for a long, long time. Quickly, before I weigh in, I also want to throw a shout out to It, as long as we're talking about the resurgence of horror movies um, in the last couple of years, because It was definitely something totally different, and I'm very excited to see it. Um, uh, yeah, that, that is one thing I will say. The Cabin in the Woods, the, the evil, scary clown is not as evil or scary as it could have been. I mean, it was evil, but yeah, it was not as yeah. scary as it could have been. Yeah, no. no it, def- it was no Pennywise. So, for me, again, I've seen this movie many, many, many times. I own it in, like, two or three different formats, honestly, um, because I bought it on DVD when I was in high school, and then I later bought it on Blu-ray, and then later bought it digitally so I could watch it in multiple places. <laughs> um, I really love this movie, and I think my bias aside, as much as I can put it, it is a wonderful kaleidoscope of horror movies that takes equal fun in trying to scare you, trying to make you laugh, and trying to make you think about the state of horror movies and what you've been fed prior to seeing that and whether or not that is a healthy diet of what a good horror movie really is. And I do believe that this movie has had a, a wonderful place in that, you know, late aughts throughout the 2010s resurgence of a lot of great horror movies, whereas I don't think you have as many in the decade leading up to that. So it holds a special, a very special place in my heart. I love it. I do think it's a future classic. It'll be talked about for years to come. Nicole, you had something real quick. Yeah, um, um, I almost forgot to mention, and it's uh, what I think is one of the most important points of the movie and what really makes it stand out is um, there's a moment in the film down in the control room where they think they have successfully completed the ritual. And Dana has just escaped the RV and is, is crawling out onto land. And then she gets attacked by uh, one of the zombie guys with the bear trap on a chain. And um, so you see her on the monitor being viciously attacked and fighting with it (laughs) and in the foreground there's this party going on with um i think it's super tramp uh keep on rolling playing in the (laughs) on the audio track and the contrast is really disturbing I at least I found it so in the theater. It was supposed to be, I think. Yeah, it's incredibly disturbing. And they're doing something that I think a lot of people, I haven't seen this movie, but a lot of people say that Michael Haneke is doing in funny games where it's indicting the audience a little bit in, isn't this what you wanted? You know, this is what you're here for. And it's contrasting it with people have having fun in front of this thing that's going on that supposedly everybody there wanted and is there for. And it's it's super creepy. And I think that's the moment that really makes this movie stand out where it's not trying to be funny and it's not doing a send up of other horror movies. It's actually saying something unique here and it's worth paying attention to. Yeah. One one quick thing they did not actually two quick things. One, they did not have the money to green screen all those monitors, so they had to manually sync them all up, uh, which <laughs> wow. a lot of effort and time. But it was the cheaper option. Uh, and number two, I don't think Kurt has a cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yep. I don't think Kurt so, actually has a cousin. <laughs> um. 
I also do like that we got through this entire discussion and never once talked about how the end of this movie literally results in all of this going to hell and the world ending. Um, and because it's such a it's through Goddard. Will there yeah, be a sequel? So- and he said, Did you see the ending? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And where so, Marty's so like, Not important, but so great. Yeah. And Marty's like, I'm sorry I let a werewolf get you and then ended the world. <laughs> <laughs> so nonchalant. I love it. Yeah. I love the end of this movie. I love the giant hand that comes out of the earth as the old gods are now rising up to destroy yeah. us all. Good. And times. I mean, and it's a callback to something that Marty says at the beginning of the movie in the RV, where he's like, everything's recorded or filed or logged. Society needs to crumble. We're just too t- chicken shit to let it. And, and also they that, get brave enough scenes. to let it. And those were the scenes <laughs> filmed last because they wanted to have camaraderie and um, you know chemistry amongst the amongst the cast so the beginning okay. scenes are filled last huh. uh, but cool. as we begin as we do close out <laughs> yes. um david thanks for bringing this to us are there any final thoughts you want to say about the movie that was a future classic for you that nicole and i both agree on yes oh ah uh, boy there's just it, there's a lot to be said about this movie and i think a lot we didn't even get to touch on a lot that we barely even got to uh, as we just more talked about the idea of the movie than at times than the movie itself. So if you haven't <laughs> seen this movie, uh, it's an hour and a half long. It's not very long at all. It's not a big ask time wise. Uh, do yourself a favor and watch it, especially since this will be coming out uh, around Halloween time. It's the perfect time to watch this movie. You could not pick a better time to watch this movie. We highly, highly, highly recommend it. And next week, we're going to be delving back in the horror again. Nicole, one more time. What's the name of the movie? Suspiria. You're definitely going to have to slack that to me. Directed are, by Dario Argento. Dario like the Argento. king of giallo films. I can't wait to watch it. Well, that, that does it for us this week. We're going to be back with Around the World next week. Around the, uh, around the, around the table anyway right now. <laughs> At least we can agree that this was indeed a future classic. Uh, David, you won the game. So, uh, where can we find everybody online? David Luzader. Uh, you can find me under the username Davlos. That's D-A-V-L-U-Z. So, Twitter, Instagram, you can find me there. Moving some things around podcast-wise, so that's the best way to figure out what's happening. Very good. And Nicole, where can we find you? Uh, I am on Letterboxd at Nicole underscore Davis. I finally have a bunch more reviews up. I think I have 10 up at this point. Um and I shepherd our Facebook page at facebook.com slash movie go round podcast. And you can interact with us there. You can send us messages. You can ask questions. I post every time we put up a new episode. So you will know that we've got something out watching on our Facebook page on a regular basis. Absolutely. And also follow us on Twitter at movie go round pod. Email the show. We would love to hear from you, particularly about this movie. You know, if there there's so many things we talked about this movie, do you even consider it a horror movie? Um, what is your favorite monster on the board like please email us movie go around at tiltingwindmillstudios.com and finally if you enjoy the show you can rate it on itunes and stitcher that helps bring more wonderful people into the movie go around family you can find me on twitter at i am brett stewart that is recently changed so you can find me there and that'll be the best place to find all the other changes i'm making right now with a couple other creative things uh it was rivers rubin but uh, as I'm doing less Rivers Rubin stuff, that was my stage name for a time. It makes more sense to use my real name. But there's still Rivers Rubin music coming out very soon. So be sure to check that out. That'll do and it that's myself. Rubin with an I, by the Ruben way. Rubin with an I, yes. Which um, you never point out to people. And I think it's probably cost followers. I think that's actually probably very fair. Um, but now, you know, Brett with two T's, right? Because there's there's some people in this world that don't know how to spell. And they are the people that have Brett with one T. It exists out there. Poison fans. Or Stuart. Oh, God. Um, Or Stuart with a U. Like, why? Why? All right. That'll that'll do it for us three. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 